somehow slowly like phasing out of the Nickelodeon scene. Yeah, you should watch Avatar, dude. You should, yeah, I will. You should, you should really, when it comes out on Netflix, you should watch it. Oh, yeah. I still, you have to watch the fucking anime boarding school gambling show. Is that the Kakeguri? I'm, you have to watch that. You just gotta give, how many episodes gotta, is it? There's not a ton. You just got to try one so you can tell me how dumb it is and then just like get it out. I mean, I'll probably episode. like it. Like, I, it's, I watch dumber anime. I'm no, watching no, no, an anime about weaponized clothing. It's that's very fun. It's really, dude, the gambling one's so dumb. But Avatar, I'm rewatching Avatar, and it is impressive to me how good it is. Like, I don't think middle school me quite understood everything. And now, like, adult me is like, wow, this is actually, this is, this isn't a kid's show. I mean, it's kind of a kid's show, but like, well, it's for, for everyone. Part, it's, yeah, but a lot of shows that are like Children's Network shows are for everyone, but like, this one is, it feels more adult than it has any right to. I can see why Nickelodeon was probably confused by it and why I might not have gotten 100% out of it, why I was a child. Do you feel like you got. 100% out of Final Fantasy when you were a child? Or did it take you multiple playthroughs to, like, when as you got older, because you played the game multiple times, to kind of, like, really digest everything? I think that when I first played the original Final Fantasy VII to completion, I think I hit it at... I think it hit me at the perfect point in my life where I was, like, media literate enough to understand a lot of the things that were happening, and it resonated with me a lot more because... I had not been exposed to a lot of melodramatic anime in that a lot of the similar beats that Final Fantasy VII taps into. What age was that? I'd say probably like ten to eleven. Okay. And I think that like a I lot of that's relatively young. Yeah, but but like it's it's pretty basic as far as like what it's trying to say and like a lot of the emotional beats that it's trying to hit. It's melodramatic, but that's not a bad thing. Like it's just it's hitting these very um, I guess story tragedy levers that you've seen over and over but when you're an 11 year old kid you haven't seen it over and over no you haven't um hey everybody welcome to garbage game club we're talking about final fantasy 7 remake this is um b big big news big news giant news my first final fantasy game i played it for the first time probably because i couldn't be bothered playing the old ones because i either thought they were too weeby or too not my style or too uh low fidelity or too old but they took this game that I've heard people talk about for most of my life, be it Final Fantasy VII, being like, oh, it's my favorite game ever. It's the best. And I don't know why I'm giving people those voice, but I mean, that's, <laughs> what, I, that's what I've heard so much of. Like, so many people, so many people hold this game at, at the pinnacle. When people talk about games, it's like, you know, like Ocarina of Time or some Mario games or Final Fantasy VII or Metal Gear Solid or something like that. Like, it is unequivocally something giant in our industry that, that everyone knows about. I'd argue that I'm in, this, in the minority not playing it. And then Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out. It wasn't something that I was following closely. It wasn't something that I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to finally dive into this environment. It's something that maybe if we weren't doing this podcast or if Nick didn't have a copy that I can play for free, that I still might have like found a way to weasel my way out of or pass on. But all of the stars aligned, and I was able to play my first Final Fantasy game. It was a game... In the vein of 2020, which I appreciate because, man, going back and looking at screenshots of Final Fantasy VII on the PS1 really... Uh, do we say PS1 or do we say PSX? 
PS1. We say PS1, say but, PS1. We, but we write PSX. Yeah, yeah. That's really dumb. Anywho, whatever. I I did it, Nick. I did it. You can be proud of me. I can plant my flag as someone who understands gaming culture a little bit better, I think. And, um, yeah. But will you be back for part two? Probably. So you didn't hate it. I, I mean, I think the answer is yes. So I'm being honest. <laughs> I think the answer is that I will be back to play part two and part three because I think it's more so speaks to my um, starting stuff and wanting to finish it. Like, man, Joey, why'd you watch every episode of Weeds and Nurse Jackie? <laughs> it's like, well, because I started it and because there's something there that I enjoy, but not because I'm going to go fucking get a, get a Buster Sword replica, uh, get my hair all spiky and go do do cloud voices out in public because I'm a big Final Fantasy VII fan now. Like, I enjoyed playing this game. I enjoyed playing the game. The time I wanted to play it once I started. I had a good time playing it. There were some things that I was like, eh, whatever. But by and large, big takeaway right at the top. I enjoyed playing this game. I think it is a good game. I don't know if this is like a game that's going to be winning a bunch of Game of the Year awards or something. I think that in any other year it probably would have, but in a year where you do have Cyberpunk 2077, probably not. Interesting. I don't know what else would be big competitor competition for. Probably Last of Us. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think Final Fantasy VII is a game that, that mm, gets second or third place a lot to those to those games. I think so. Um, but you you ultimately liked it. I ultimately liked it. I, I I had a I had a good time playing it. I wanted to come back and like pick up the controller more. I found times to cram it into my day. I was playing it when I was waking up before I was going to bed. Um, it it wasn't super long for me. I didn't like it enough to do all the side quests mm-hmm. or the portions of the game where you're hanging out in town and you're just like, hey, do you want to help people? I'm like, no, I want to go on with the story. So like. There, I I didn't feel the need to do everything or or collect you know All additional materia or or Dude, just hearing just hearing you say these words right now is making my spine tingle. Or I like I I didn't want to exhaust characters' dialogue trees. I'm just like I was I was very much like like a like a dog who picked up a scent and is just going from point to point B. I'm I'm following I'm a bloodhound baby. And but I'm what was it, what in. was it about the point A to point B that was like enthralling? Was it were you interested in seeing what happened? I don't know if I was enthralled by it as much as I was just like we're gonna get through. You're trying this. to get through. Got we're, we're we're getting through this. Like like this is this is a journey I'm on. I'm gonna fucking get through this journey. And there were parts of that journey that felt like big highs to me. Like when I'm climbing up 62 flights of stairs, <laughs> big high, giant high. It's the, great. The only thing that that can match that game experience is probably climbing the ladder in in MGS3. <laughs> very similar vibes. Very like oh what 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 a memorable good fun gaming experience. And then there's there's other parts of the game like where I'm just going, man, this is a combat encounter that I don't need right now. Button, button, click, click, slash, slash, walk away. Okay, good. Really glad that I f- 
spent this hour in the sewers just <laughs> doing the same like repetitive combat a bunch of times okay uh, tifa go uppercut of uh, a uh, uh, homie healer lady just like heal me okay cool <laughs> cloud do some kind of limit break okay gotcha next one great like i i wasn't i wasn't always engaged i felt like there was a lot of time where i spent just walking from point a to point b to experience and listen to the story and that was my experience with Final Fantasy. It's like if I, I probably could have enjoyed this game just as much if I was watching a let's play where the combat sections or the parts in between story beats were sped up four hundred percent. Okay, you, I, you just wanted to see just general like, oh, let's watch this unfold. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was interested in what was going on. I was like, whoa, dude, I live in a world where, like, corporations are also, like, you know, d- d- uh, mutilating the planet to, like, uh, you know, uh, ruin it. Yeah. Um, I have some questions, though. Like, uh, why so many people identify and love these characters that are literally, um, what's the word? Terrorists? I mean, it, it is just that, though. Like, it was kind of edgy in the year 1997 to be like, whoa, the game opens with a terrorist attack and you are the terrorist. Like, that's kind of interesting. And why, though? Like, is there anything interesting to say? And it it is basically, you know, it is among the first, I would say, popular media cyberpunk games in that it is a very real depiction of what a cyberpunk dystopia looks like when a company owns everything and there are people who are on the side of good and they are actually terrorists actively hurting and harming things. Like, you, they, they take an extremist stance, which is super bold, but I think that there is some divorcing that what happened in the original Final Fantasy VII because the avalanche stuff is so downplayed in the original game and it all essentially ends when we see that um, Sector 6 pillar crash down, when, when the plate crashes over um, the Sector 7 slump. So, like, that is effectively the end of all of the avalanche stuff. And then it just, from there, becomes Barrett's quest to get revenge for the death of avalanche against President Shinra, which then culminates with President Shinra getting stabbed in the back by Sephiroth. And that's where that stuff basically ends in. From that point forward, it's Barrett kind of reflecting on everything that has happened. So there is an arc that happens with the avalanche and the eco-terrorism stuff. You just haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. I mean, I I take that for truth, knowing that, like, that is what happened. Like, uh, But also... It feels weird to play this game with very minimal previous Final Fantasy experience, know the giant fandom that exists mostly around Cloud and, and Tifa and my, yeah. my head canon understanding of the internet, and then being like, why has everyone been championing terrorists? For well, I mean, all this time, they're, they're they are terrorists. Bad, they are bad people. They are terrorists. They cause the death and suffering of an uncountable amount of people. They are terrorist sympathizers. No, 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 no. Tifa's they're, not a part of Avalanche, nor is Cloud. They, they Cloud is a cell sword. Terrorism. <laughs> the only time they ever I get liking killed- Walter White. I get liking Dexter. I get enjoying an antihero. <laughs> These characters that people champion are terrorists. But they do it from a that good perspective. That doesn't matter. 
They're trying to do something because it- that's not how what civil disobedience is. That that's not creating. They're that's just not they're just dialogue. they're just taking they up arms against people. the government. They killed. People. They're exercising they their second. People. You're defending terrorism. <laughs> I don't understand why why there's such, why so many people are were, were were enjoying these characters who are literally terrorists. Well, and I think you are also looking at it from a post two thousand one perspective too, because in ninety seven. 9-11 hadn't happened yet, and you best believe that would have been rewritten had it come out post-2001. Would it, though? Because, I mean, like, it was oh, absolutely. for a Japanese audience who were the victims of lots of terrorism. I mean, sure, but it's just, like, a fun, inciting incident. It, the thing about Final Fantasy VII that really drew people in in 97 was that it was the first JRPG that begins with a literal bang. Most JRPGs start you off... You're the hero with amnesia who has to journey from the small village and then find his way to the giant castle. Whereas Final Fantasy VII just begins in medias res. You are on a mission and you are planting a bomb and trying to escape. And for that, that was like a mind-blowing moment for people in 97 because nothing had ever really done something like that, let alone something from Japan. Cloud's a terrorist. He is a terrorist. Why? He's also he a fascist start, soldier. Why does he start stop caring about the money too? Like I was really confused about Cloud's character. Where like everything's like pay me, and then it's like suddenly I have a heart and I like you people. I think that's something that the remake actually handles pretty well. In that he's still kind of a hound dog for money, and he just slowly cares a little bit less and less about it, which is a similar arc to Barrett, and it's something that I was a little bit concerned about. I don't think... I think if you look at every single character in this remake, I would argue Barrett is probably the most interesting and also the worst. Because, one, he is, I think, the most cartoonish example of an 80s black stereotype in a way that feels, like, really outdated. Mm -hmm. But also that weird stereotype... Huh? I said, oh, you want to talk about stereotypes? Hold on. And, keep, keep going. And that stereotype, I think, is something that is a little bit, like, kind of uncomfortable to deal with to some respect because it's just like, ah, oh, this feels kind of like we're not in the 90s anymore. But I do think that there is some sort of self-recognition and it is some sort of self-awareness that I do think that's just Barrett putting up an act in a way that feels, like, regressive but also, like, that's not really who he is because we get glimpses of who Barrett really is when he's interacting with Marlene. And, and I think if he would have cared about Marlene, he wouldn't have gone to the other side of that fucking. Well, portal. he's trying to do make a better life for her. He's trying to do that's That's it's why all clouded judgment. I disagree with like all the decisions these characters make all the time. That's why people go to war and shit. They want to make a better life for their family. They do it for VA loans. No, they, they don't, don't do that house. at all. A lot of people do have a sense of duty, unfortunately, yeah, and they have this weird blind sense of loyalty. But I think that there's like a smart character design behind Bear because he never wore glasses in the original game. But I kind of love that they gave him the glasses in this game because <laughs> there is like a sort of physical signifier to say, I am putting up a front. And when he loses the glasses or doesn't have them on, you kind of get a glimpse into who he really is, which I think is smart. There's some good stuff with Barrett in this game. I would just like the idea of putting the glasses on the PS1 model and what that would have looked like. <laughs> I know, right? Because uh, <laughs> um, you want to talk about stereotypes, man. I, um, 
hated every time Wedge was on screen. Yeah, Wedge wasn't great in this game. I really, but it's a it's Badger. Not only do I hate <laughs> the second Breaking Bad reference I'll make now that that Badger was the voice actor. Hey, everybody, this is my cartoon voice. I'm gonna go get stoned and eat a lot of pizza. Like I, every line of dialogue felt like it was written by the most like they. Um, you know how on on uh, sometimes like on social media it'll be like you have fifteen dollars, pick the best <laughs> team, right? And and then you know you got all your expensive talent like Michael Jordan, LeBron. You James, got your cloud Kobe. on the top. Yeah, like you, you got your top tier people. They didn't balance their team right because all of their character writers, like like for for Barrett, they got like a five out of five character writer, and then Tifa and Cloud, and then they're like, guys, we ran out of budget. We only have zero dollars to spend on Wedge's character <laughs> writer. Let's spend zero dollars because I could have written that character ten years ago as a child. Yeah. Hey, everybody, man. I'm so jolly and hungry. We should go eat before the mission. Did you know I'm fat? Thumbs up. Fucking, I, I cringed and hated everything that character was doing. I think all the time. Wedge is easily among the worst. Be- the- okay, so here, this taps into really my biggest concern going into the Final Fantasy VII remake is that Square Enix sought out to turn what was effectively the first six hours of the original Final Fantasy VII into a fully-fledged game. And when they said that... Cool idea. My, I, and my first thing was like, oh no, they're just going to add stuff to the game for the sake of adding things to like inflate it. And there are quite a few examples of things where it's just like, oh, this is bad. Like, stop this. One is Wedge. I, I think they do a lot of good things in that every member of Avalanche in the original game is basically just an npc that you never really interact with they have very little in terms of dialogue and character and they ultimately live and die at the sector seven plate crushing like they die where they die in the remix quote unquote they die but they do die in the original game and that's that they're just basically they they symbolize barrett's kind of learning from his failures and and realizing that hey maybe eco-terrorism isn't the way of going about escalating change and he kind of uses their deaths to transform but in this game they really do add so much to these characters and i would argue 66 percent of it pretty dang good i 50 of it pretty dang good jesse fantastic um biggs Great, even though he's kind of non-present, I like that kind of like wise older guy mentality. Wedge, not very good. Yeah, man. Wedge could have been such an interesting character, and I think that he tapped. There is moments of good writing with Wedge, and that good writing comes in the form of him at recognizing like I'm not good, but I want to try and be better. I think that moment... But first, pizza. Yeah, and I think you could have lost that fat stuff, and I think you would have had a much stronger, more interesting character because that is something... He was a loser character in the original game, but I like that he is confronting his inability to do good, and he does step up in the Sector 7 crushing. He does rise to the occasion and be brave when he needs to, which is interesting. I also love the the notion that there's... like a history between him and Jesse where he tried to make a move and she shut him down and he kind of like 
is not over that. And that's good because he's not mean about it or anything. It's just like, eh, it just didn't work out. That's good. Mostly bad. But what else was mostly bad? And one of my biggest concerns was like, how much cookie cutter content are we going to get where I'm just going through an area that's been turned into this massive labyrinth of encounters? And my God, you can cut out like 40% of this game and have a way leaner and better experience. Exactly. I didn't care. I, I wanted the, I guess I, maybe I wanted a movie and I didn't want a video game at some point because I did have fun with the combat, but ultimately I'm like, all right, Cloud, let's go into uh, let's go into strong mode. Let's press triangle, slash, slash, <laughs> slash. Okay, and then I'll switch over to barrier. Just the things off cooldown. Let's just do that. And then, okay, we'll heal. And let's go back, slash, slash, slash. I, like, I think the biggest problem with the combat is that, like, I love the combat, and I didn't when I played the demo. But the biggest problem is that you usually fight the same enemy, and you usually fight multiple of the same enemy. Combat gets interesting when you have different enemies that are all in one team, and you're forced to juggle between using Barrett to pull at enemies who are in the sky, use Tifa to get up close and stagger people, and then have Cloud go in for the kill. Like, juggling between party management in varied encounters is super fun. But when you're fighting three hedgehogs, it's not particularly fun. Yeah, I spent a lot of my time playing this game wondering what was new in this game versus what wasn't new in this game. Like, or like, like, like what was from the original what was new? I'm like... Did Cloud meet Sephiroth so early? Slash, what's with all these weird flashback moments that he's having that are they even flashbacks? I can't really tell. And what's going on with all these whispers? And what's fluff content and what's not fluff content? I was like, what is what is going on? I felt I found myself being confused sometimes mm-hmm. about like what I was supposed to be paying attention to or what I should be getting out of these things. Yeah, uh, no, totally. I um so, for the most part, everything you said is new content that was not in the original game. The only semblance that we get that there is someone named Sephiroth and that Cloud is not who he seems is the only time we ever really see it in Midgar is one at the beginning of the game in the Mako, Mako reactor. I always used to say Mako and hearing them say Mako is disarming, but it makes sense because it's Japanese. Is right before he plants the bomb, he has that like headache. And he kind of like, Barrett's like, what are you doing? That sort of thing. That happens at the beginning of this game. And that happened in the original game. And it's never really acknowledged. Mm. And it's just like, oh, that was weird. What's going on there? And you don't really know who Sephiroth is. He doesn't really get name dropped at all until you get to the Shinra headquarters at the end of the Midgar section of the original game. But in this, you and people who have played Final Fantasy VII do have some sort of understanding that cloud has some sort of ptsd and he is constantly having visions of sephiroth and i just assumed at the beginning of the game that's all this was it'd be the same story over and over and i just got a little bit of like oh they're just representing that sort of ptsd like uh, enigma that sephiroth presents a little bit better in this time around and then they introduced the whispers which are easily the most controversial thing about the game because there is a side of Final Fantasy fandom that are saying, they're ruining my memories! They're ruining my childhood with the whispers! I, I, I don't know any of those people. Um, <coughs> and maybe you're doing that voice. Is it a dry cough? Isn't helping. But um, I hate them. I hate those people. 
Yeah, they're wrong. The whispers rule. And here's why they rule. Because the whispers are the exact same representation of those people who are saying, they're changing my game. The whispers are the fans who can't let go. They are the fans who are so like inextricably tied to the beats of the original game that they can't acknowledge or they can't they refuse to believe that someone would have the audacity to remake their childhood and change even just the smallest detail and i love that about the final fantasy 7 remake the smartest thing this game is doing and i think one of the most bold things this game can do is rewrite Final Fantasy VII from a metatextual perspective of not wanting to give in and giving in to fan demand. And I think that is brilliant if they pull it off in the long run. Because, uh, I mean, flash forward to the end of the Final Fantasy VII remake. Spoilers, Barrett never gets stabbed by Sephiroth in Shinra headquarters. He never dies. There's never even the notion that Barrett would ever die. And so when that happened in this game... I was genuinely surprised. I was like, oh my god. Are they doing something new? But then the whispers come and resurrect them. The whispers serve as the rigid outline to make sure that their memories fall into place. That the player's memories of Final Fantasy Remake falls into place. And I love this They're weird... They're guiding the story, man. I love this weird tension between creator and fandom. And I think it's going to reach a boiling point. And at the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake, like, you do literally destroy the fandom. Like, you you destroy what the whispers are. And so that paves the way for something bold and new going forward. And you do get traces. This isn't just some deus ex machina shit. This, this is planted early on with Aerith when you first meet her after the Mako reactor. She, she has this sort of... I think she's not Deadpool in that she's poking at the fourth wall saying, hey guys, I died in the original game. Isn't this crazy? I'm a little bit aware. She she kind of gives small clues like, oh, this time things might be different. Or she says, whatever you do, Cloud, don't fall in love with me. Like She says stuff like that that I'm like, she never said that in the original game. <laughs> and that seems like a weird thing for her to say at this point in the game. And she, I believe, has some sort of knowledge of the original game. I believe that we are in a separate like universe from Final Fantasy VII where we are looking back. Some characters have the ability, Aerith and Sephiroth namely, to look back at what happened and they're doing their best to influence things. Because, spoilers, at the end of Final Fantasy VII, the original game, things don't actually work out particularly well. The world... Spoilers! The world ends up worse than what it began. Or better, I guess, depending on how you look what at it. What a good it. message about terrorism. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things in here. But I didn't need to float through two and a half hours of the train graveyard through the godforsaken uh, Shinra headquarters laboratory where you're swapping parties back and forth. I didn't need to go spend... Oh, yeah, that one at the end of the game where you're like... Hey, Cloud, I'm right above you on a platform, but I can't talk down to you over this platform when I have visual line of sight for you. Let me call you on the telephone. That stuff isn't in the original game, and for good reason. It doesn't belong in the game. Like, the train graveyard sequence, 
is two screens long in the original Final Fantasy VII, and there's no boss encounters. There's no nonsense. It's a pretty simple puzzle where you're moving trains. Does Cloud get a massage in the first game? He does get a massage. In the original game, he gets a massage from, like, ten men, and he wakes up, and there's just, like, five buff men in the room. It's very funny. Um, Yeah, funny. I don't think I laughed much. I think this game is a lot of fun. I think that there's... This really, again, a really weird tension between the fandom and wanting to make something that is realistic, quote unquote. And I was worried and I guess concerned at how much of the original game they would preserve. Final Fantasy VII is historically one of the most mini-game-laden video games of all time in that there is a snowboarding minigame, there's a boxing minigame, there's a squatting minigame, there's a dress-up sequence. And that was an, all in the original game. I was like, there's no way they're going to do all of There's a biking minigame. There's no way they're going to do all of this shit in the remake. I was wrong. <laughs> they did it all. And a lot of it is mostly like, it's fine. It's, it, it does, it's, not a t- like, it's not hard. It's all pretty easy, and if you want to spend time doing it, you can because you get cool items. But for the most part, anytime it's required by the story, it goes by fairly quick, except for the biking sequences. Those kind of suck. Yeah, those weren't great. But um, I'm surprised at how much of the original game they kept, and especially down to enemy design. Because the original game's enemy designs were wild in a way that I was like, there's no way they're doing Hell House. That would look so stupid. That would look so stupid, but the way they handled Hell House was so good in the remake. As it was, I mean, I had fun with it. I'm like, this is silly. It's, it's silly, but they recognize it's like that self awareness that it's it's smart self awareness and that they know how to plant that seed when they need to. They because Hell House is just a reoccurring enemy that you see when you're trying to navigate those robotic arms. Also, a bad sequence in the game. Uh, yeah. Oh, god, that was so annoying. But again, that's a sequence in the original game that is one screen, <laughs> and they turned it into a two-hour sequence. So, like, there there's some problems of inflation in that respect, which is, you know, I guess when you want to turn a six-hour game into a thirty-five-hour game, that's kind of a, a trade-off you're making. I had some minor gripes and grievances with just mechanics of the game. Oh, let's get into it. Um, I uh, combat's the easiest one for me to just be like. I feel like the menuing was a little bit problematic. You had to like commit yourself to you learn how to use some of the hotkeys and set them up properly to do things quickly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just doing like a lot of button presses that eventually, once you learn them, it feels like you know, oh, I got it. Like you know, I'm gonna R two uh, left left d-pad uh x square x and then like you know you like you're pressing these button combos and you learn them but for the most part it's just kind of clunky i could forgive that some stuff that i couldn't forgive was like the in-world interaction so like there's a lot of like walk up to this console press and hold triangle and if you're not like in the right spot it's really hard to snap yeah, to or, it. Or if you're and, not in the right spot and you have to like navigate Cloud to be in the right spot, it's almost impossible to get him to get to where you need to be because he'll like he'll do like an awkward 360 where he like moves five feet around the the area you actually want to go, and it's like no, press the button. Yeah, I'm glad that you had this very same similar experience. <laughs> I assume that most people did. Where I'm like, oh, I wasn't immediately in front of the terminal. I'm a little bit to the left. Let me just let me just inch to the right, and then you're like on a different screen. It's like, man, this feels not good. Like, th- this is uh, part of the 
when, when something in a game makes you feel like you're playing a game and just like pulls yeah, you out of the It feels clumsy. And I think that, that taps into what I like to call the Ellie dilemma. And it's like, this is unrelated to Final Fantasy, but in The Last of Us, it's primarily a stealth game and you have a partner with you named Ellie who is AI controlled and she will often run out in front of enemies and because she's an AI and you can't control her, the game decides, okay, you didn't lose this stealth encounter because you you didn't control her. So basically only Joel can be spotted in The Last of Us and that determines success or failure in stealth. They dealt with the problem of AI characters and partners by basically making them invisible, which is game-breaking in of itself because it makes you realize I'm still playing a game. Final Fantasy VII Remake does the inverse where they give your partners weight, and that often causes you to causes them to get in the way whenever you want to press a button and you they're just blocking you so you have to yeah. run like five miles before they get behind you so you can press the or damn you're button. like pushing a character through a door so you yeah. can also go through a door or you're like watch them phase into existence when you're on an elevator and just like <laughs> teleport into spots so like- I, I wonder what the right move here is because i think i'd prefer giving them weight than to them being invisible but i don't know that's just a personal preference if you would have just let me snap to the place, like if I was anywhere close yeah. by it, like just give me like a small animation of Cloud aligning himself and then like doing the thing that I want him to do anyways, that would also be a little bit clunky because you're not having that that control. But just, man, like getting to the right place or like vaulting over the right thing or sliding over the same wall. Also, how many times did I have to watch Cloud shimmy against something? <laughs> 80 more times than I needed or wanted to. Like... It, it is a little bit slow in how you navigate that open world. Um, but going back to the combat a little bit, I really like the combat. I think the combat is a lot of fun, but I think being good at the combat is very tiring because I think that the menu system is so clunky and um, like trying to swap between party members while you're trying to use their different abilities for the different circumstances, capitalize on this enemy being staggered and whatnot. It's really fun to think about and to watch unfold because the battle sequences are just gorgeous. Like watching the animations unfold, mm-hmm. it seems like a, like a symphony to some extent where you're having Tifa pop someone up in the air, Barrett kind of keeps him in the air with his minigun, and then Cloud goes in for the finish. Like that stuff's awesome. But I never felt like... You know, you and I are are veteran gamers in that we <laughs> kind of are able to like like most people who are listening to this, you're able to commit to muscle memory the way you should do things, the way you should press buttons and the order of events that you press buttons. Correct. I kind of feel like I always found myself accidentally swapping to party members when I didn't intend to. And I never used the shortcut system because I never feel like I, there were so many abilities by the end of the game that I was like, it's just going to be faster if I just go into my abilities myself and then just press it. It's, it's the same idea of trying to swap materia between party members during those sequences i will take the path of least resistance and be like you know what Aerith and tifa you're not gonna have any any material when you're in the shinra laboratory i'm just gonna just power through this sequence right now so i did find myself kind of not as incentivized to engage in the most comp like being dialed in 100 percent to the combat when it didn't matter when i'm going from combat sequence to combat sequence and it's all generally like it's pretty easy i'll spend five seconds longer just attacking regularly it's fine yeah and even then like i feel like i'm being hypercritical of the game for some of its combat and for that stuff like it's 
passable. I think it's very good, and I think it's the best version of what an action RPG could look like, especially if you compare it to something like Final Fantasy XV, which was essentially just pressing X over and over and over and over, and Kingdom Hearts 2, where it's, again, a little more uh, elegant in how combat unfolds, but it is still menu-heavy, so I think that there's still a compromise to be had, and I think that they can finesse some things for what whatever comes next. I think for yeah. games in this vein, I just wanted to directly compare it to God of War. Okay. New God of War. And that's yeah. like my high bar for something that I enjoyed kind of unilaterally on all fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's elegant. I think that's elegance in design for combat because everything just makes sense in God of War. Yeah, and they don't really have that in Final Fantasy. So when I, when I play a game, like Final Fantasy does some things better than God of War, but I'd argue that like if I had to one-to-one most of it, I would just rather play God of War. And I know that not every game that you're playing is like, a, well, is this going to be your new gold standard of video games? That's, that's, a, that's a really bad way to look at something. But if, if I'm... You know, just comparing it to something that I know that I like and I think was done really well, like exceptionally well, Final Fantasy in that comparison feels like it just falls short to me as like a PS4, just as a Sony mega hit platform exclusive. And that's fine because it's still good, but like I think it's a B plus instead of an A plus. And I don't want to start getting to a point where I'm so snobby where B pluses are like bad. No, that, that it's not. It's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad, but I like think that just speaks, it's a it's it's a B plus. It's I think B that just game. speaks to your general like disinterest in turn based games, though, because like this is adapting the turn based legacy of Final Fantasy and turning it into something that is inspired by god of war but in no way that's still paying respect to the legacy of the franchise and i think that's real this is really the only way you can do something like this i think you can streamline a couple more things but i think that i think removing a lot of the way you navigate your magic your summons your attacks i think you start to turn it into just an action game whereas i do think that there is a level of like understanding how stats work understanding elemental weaknesses work i think there's some semblance of that that you have to have these systems in place in mm-hmm. order to kind of execute fully on them but yeah i could totally see why you wouldn't be sold on something like this yeah like i mean i guess i was sold on it but i didn't like love it yeah. and that's that's where the difference is like it's fine and fine shouldn't be a marker of like bad. It's 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 fine. It's passable. It's passable. It's 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 above passable. It's good, but it's not exceptional to me. So I liked it enough to want to play the other games. I feel super stoked that like I understand you know like the world and these characters that so many people care so much about. Like all of that felt so worth my time and enjoyable. But the game itself, be it fucking beautiful. Um, even though there were a lot of texture pop-ins if you're not using the PS4 Pro, but you know, that's a different, it's a whole different conversation. That stuff never really bothers me. That stuff bugs the shit out of me. You don't have to do that anymore. Um, I mean, I, I do want to touch real quick on two new additions to the game and I guess the botching of one of them. Um, the Materia system is a system that I loved in the original game and it was something that was gradual and it was something that, you know, it took a long time to get upgrades for And I found myself always swapping between Materia in the original game to optimize my party for whatever lay ahead. And I think for the most part, I'm happy that a lot of it is still relatively intact. 
But my big problem with the Materia system in the remake is that you kind of become completely overpowered super quick just by the no nature of this being part one of a remake. So like I'm having a level three lightning spell that which is something that you wouldn't get until like 25 hours into the original mm. game. But I also feel like a lot of the Materia, a lot of the beauty of the original Materia system was between the linked and the unlinked Materia slots in your armor and weapons and how adding something with a Materia like added effect plus poison in your sword would mean that if you swung your sword at someone, there's a chance you could poison them. And I feel like that wasn't as fun. I know you could do like elemental plus lightning, but I feel like I was less incentivized to experiment with Materia combinations because a lot of it was I just wasn't very either. straightforward. The only time that I linked materials when I got the when I got the pedometer and then I got the the plus making your material grow fast one. I'm yeah. like, I want to have more HP. Let me link those together. And then that was that was it. And I also think a lot of the like the nomenclatures for them were kind of like off because like you know this is the most fanboy I'll get. But like in the original game, instead of magnify materia in order to you know pair that with a restore spell so you heal your entire party, it was just called all. So it's like, oh, that's way more self-explanatory. I thought Magnify would make something stronger, just like the armchair psychological, this is what this does. All tells me exactly what this thing does. Bio tells me exactly what this thing, like, it's small things like that that I'm just like, ah, that, that's fine. But it's also like, that seems like a step down to some respect. But one thing I loved, love, love, loved, is the weapon upgrade system in this game. Because in the original game, Every time you got a new weapon, it was essentially, this is stronger, it has more material slots, I'm throwing away everything, I'm selling my old weapon, it, it's gone. Yep, I did that. I just looked at which one has more attack power, <laughs> using that one. I, I do like that the game, like, if you want to, the game does incentivize you to swap between your old weapon sets, because one, you can master the abilities by, like, getting more AP. I love it when games have weapons with abilities that you have to use over and over and then you unlock the ability and you keep that ability it's my favorite thing in the world but i love the idea of upgrading old weapons because they can be as strong as some of the late game weapons that you find in the game and i like that the buster sword is basically the second best sword in the game right outside of hard edge like hard edge is a cool looking sword and it's also the best sword in the game but i like that there is like oh well if i want to use more magic with cloud in a in a you know, in an arena battle, I should probably equip that one that has like three materia slots on it because it's super powerful for magic users. And I like that the game finds ways to repurpose old weapons and always make them feel relevant. So I always feel like I need to be paying attention to that. And that's something I really appreciate. And I think that's something that a lot of RPGs can look to in the future and, and kind of get rid of the old archaic system of oh you got a new sword just sell the old one and stick with the new one like i like the idea of choosing a weapon based on the situation bigger numbers make joey happy <laughs> but not all of them do though if you get a, the the sword that you find last is arguably one of the weirdest and worst swords in the game because it has like no materia slots so it's like why would i want to use this but you get a cool, bigger numbers. Well, you get a cool ability, and that's about it. You get the ability to like do a counter, and I I like that sort of thing, and I think that's super duper smart. But Joey, the last thing I want to tap into. What's that? The end of the game. What did you think of the end of the game? Because, as you can guess, the end of the game 
in the original Final Fantasy VII, it's Cloud and the gang escape from Shinra on the motorcycle and the truck. Oh, shoot, I forgot to talk to how, about how good the cutscenes are. Uh, for the longest time, Final Fantasy franchise has prided itself on high-fidelity graphics. That was always the benchmark of what Sony's console could do, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, wow, look at these cutscenes. Aren't they incredible? And for the longest time, that was like the big selling point for Final Fantasy. And I think over the years, I think once we got into the PS3, Xbox 360, late generation, we kind of stopped caring about cutscenes because it was really just taking away control from us. And it was just like, oh, I mean, that's pretty, but whatever. And I think that they found a way to tap into that in the remake while still making it fun. And I think they revolutionized cutscenes by doing something that Final Fantasy has always tried to do is turn battles slash interactive moments that seamlessly blend with cutscenes. Like when you are having these awesome fight sequences, whether it be with Reno and Rude on the top of the Sector 7 plate, and the game transitions effortlessly to you like lunging towards the helicopter or Tifa falling out of the sky when you're ascending towards Shinra headquarters and then Cloud like saves her by like jumping around. Like the way it blends cutscene with battle is gorgeous. And I think it's the next step for what this kind of technology like the the original wow factor of cutscenes blending it between interactive sequence and cutscene is brilliant it's so good i love it very much i liked that i always knew when a cutscene was ending because the camera did the same pan move to come out to <laughs> yeah. back yeah well i mean that's a god of war thing though yeah. that's a, a god of war is once again it, that one cut the the uncut god of war thing is influencing so many things now and i love it i think it's super fun and i think it's an elegant way of doing old things but back to the end of the game end of the game original final Fantasy 7 you fight that boss that's on the highway you still fought that boss oddly enough and in, in this one and it was very bad i did not like that fight at all um but you get to the end of the the freeway and i thought the game was gonna end i was like great i got i the game ended where i thought it would end but then it didn't and as you can guess, all of that stuff that happens with Sephiroth on the freeway is brand new. And a lot of it was just like, oh, no. I thought they were going to drop the ball. I thought they were, I was like, you're going to Kingdom Hearts it. What balls are to drop? Like this. To, to ruin my game that well, I well, love so much. Well, the being one of those people. The only thing that I had, my only concern is that it would get so bogged down with a lot of the cloud backstory slash like Sephiroth weirdness that I thought it would my worries it would turn it into a Kingdom Hearts story where it'd be like this doesn't make any sense anymore like none of this really works and I thought that was gonna happen especially when you're fighting those weird like shadow red yellow and blue guys that are in the Sephiroth other world and I really didn't and I didn't like fighting the giant world shadow monster thing like that stuff is straight up kingdom hearts level of like what what do you what does this come from like where did you but i had none of these qualms i'm like ah they're just just, whispers it just seems weird in a in a game that ultimately didn't pull something out of its ass for for most of the game and it feels like this is the most tetsuya nomura i'm pulling this out of my ass because i'm tetsuya nomura which is fine 
but I like what they represented because I, I came to realize that it was the personification of the whispers in its most combative form. And I like that you get rid of them because God forbid, I never want to do that fight again. And I love, love, love that you fight Sephiroth at the end of part one of this game because you did it in the original game. You, the first time you see Sephiroth's strength in the original game is a flashback where you're a, a, an, a new recruit in the army and you will get into an actual combat encounter where a Sephiroth's on your team and you fight a giant green dragon. Cloud gets wrecked by the dragon and gets killed immediately. But Sephiroth is just, he has materia that you've never seen. He's doing damage the way you've never been able to do damage. And he is kind of deified in a way that's playable. And it's like, whoa, that guy's really strong. And in this game, you actually get to fight him and see, like, he's pretty strong. He's he's a pretty challenging fight. Like, he, he, he doesn't hold back in a way that I thought they would. And it just really went all out. And I was very excited about it because it also tapped into the notion that this is not just a remake. There's something more here. And Sephiroth, like Aerith, is also aware of the legacy of Final Fantasy VII. How did, how did that stuff get to you? Did you did you recognize it at no. all? I mean, how could I without any content? I'm like... Yeah. I'm like whatever cool the i mean i guess it makes sense that your your big bad boss is like at the end of the game because this is a video game so all right dope there, um, there's flashes during that fight against the giant shadow monster where you know you do enough damage and then the characters get like a memory in their head do you remember that yeah that stuff is stuff that happens in not final fantasy 7 that stuff happens in final fantasy 7 advent children the movie that takes place after final fantasy 7 it happens in other things, but it's it's recognizing that this stuff still happened. So your childhood's still intact, your memories are still there, but this is just a possible way that it can go. And then we have the sequence at the end of the game where Zack, the guy who's Cloud but with black hair. Yeah, I'm like, what? One of the most heartbreaking moments in in, in video games for me personally is... Um, he got his own game, of course, called Final Fantasy Crisis Core. It was on the PSP. It's actually a very good game, very well made and very beloved. But basically, Zack is who got Cloud to Midgar, as we saw in this game. But in the original game, when he has that stand against all of those military men, and, and you saw like the whispers or whatever, that is a shot-for-shot remake of how Crisis Core ends, where he dies fighting because he's like, I got to save Cloud. But... You know, I'm, I'm, I can only take on so many soldiers at once, and he ultimately dies. But in this game, he does not die, which is craziness, because that opens the world of possibilities for... I, I didn't even... I couldn't even fathom a world where I was like, wow, you surprised me. I did not expect Zack to be... I thought I would watch one of my favorite characters again die again this is just like showing the disconnect i think very well between someone who like has a beloved history and like understands this product and this lineage and everything versus me who's coming in with completely fresh eyes and i'm like what's special about this like but but they do but they do (laughs) like this is really cool i i understand that like yeah they, they make it in a way to where i'm curious like, just by having someone who looks identical to Cloud, like, you want to hop on the internet and be like, what's this character? Who what's is going he? on? Like, I don't quite understand. So, like, it does a good job of piquing someone's interest who doesn't previously care about it, which I think is really cool. But ultimately, I can never have those types of, like, 
awesome feelings revelations you're having because I don't have the connection to that product, right? Right, but it, they do it in an interesting way because there's a lot there for longtime fans, but there's also a glimpse into something being off in that, what what's that dog's name? Is it Scout? The one that Barrett is always like, the, the thing they do with the dog is brilliant. And it's brilliant for this reason alone in that when you are trying to go to Sector 5, the, the reactor in Sector 5, you're navigating the tunnels and Barrett's saying, this dog, I think his name's Scout, points the way. You have to go the direction that his nose is pointing, mm-hmm. right? They hit you over the head with it over and over and over. It's a character you see over and over and over again. But the brilliance, it all pays off in the weirdest way in that Zack encounter. Because at the end of the game, when Zack, you know, does his fight with the soldiers, we see a rapper fly through the air in front of camera, and it's a different dog. So it's basically implying that this is an alternate universe. We, this, is, this is physical confirmation that this timeline you're looking at takes place in an alternate world where the dog is different. And that's like the tongue-in-cheek way of saying things are not these are not the same worlds we're looking at. And I think that's a lot of fun and a very dumb way of pointing out something very cool. And ultimately, I can't wait to see what they do with the remake. I do worry in that, like, I feel like I put so much time into, like, 100%ing this game, where, like, in the original game, my stats and stuff would just carry over to disc two. But in this game, are they going to do that? Like, you have no idea how they improperly convert over your character to the next game. I would hope in a perfect world they make a system where I can just start off in the exact same place, the exact same characters and levels of material and everything, and then we just go forward using save data. I hope that's what happens. Because if they just like star me at some arbitrary like median point of stuff that I might want to have, I feel like that's bad. But then what do you do for someone who is just playing part two before ever playing part one? I don't like I yeah like in the original game it would say put disc one in before you play disc two dummy but like can you can't do that with this no I don't think you can like what if they did like that's crazy there's no way they could but what if they did like that's kind of interesting I guess but like there's no way they would do that no they'd just be leaving money on the table if there's one thing we know about capitalism is that there's no money to be left on the table ever I don't know what they're gonna do I hope that I can uh, be come off at the same point that's what I would want yeah I would want that too because I'm oddly invested into how much time and effort I poured into playing as Aerith I'm not but I think it's cool I didn't spend that much time playing as Aerith but most of my time playing as Cloud even though Tifa I think is objectively more fun to play oh Tifa had, is so much every time fun. I had to control Barrett I'm like this is boring I like Barrett's over. I like that they give. I like that there's hidden mechanics, and I like that Barrett has an active reload. I really like that he has an active reload that they never tell you about. That's very smart. Um. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. That's uh. I'm excited for the next game. I'm not gonna be like, oh man, I can't wait. But I am. It's the thing. It's the thing that I'm going to. That I'm gonna play. And until then, I'm gonna play The Last of Us. And I'm gonna play Cyberpunk. And I'm gonna pay. Ghost of Tsushima, and I'm going to play all the other games that are going to come out in the next two years before this game does. Or maybe even longer now because this game will get a little COVID-y. COVID-y. I know, right? But but let let this be a note to the haters. This game did not ruin your childhood because they decided to do something different. If that was the no case... One, no one thinks that. Dude, no. You, the, the, some hardcore Final Fantasy fans out there are just They're like, delusional. No, there's there's genuinely a lot of people who feel like if they were to... Some elements in this game 
quote-unquote ruined their perception of the game. And to those people, I say, try playing Final Fantasy VII Dirge of Cerberus again, or try rewatching Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. If that, if your state of mind held true, like Final Fantasy VII was ruined a long time ago. <laughs> but Uh-oh. that this, about this is does exciting. it. Yeah, this is one of the longer shows we've done. We've, we're going to clock in at like an hour. I think people are going to people are going to see the TRT. This is which, a meaty which, by one. the way, if you, that's you, that's some industry for speak, that stands for a total runtime. It's the length of the piece. Some some TRT. There you go. Just got educated. Um, <laughs> if someone sees the TRT of this from before they start playing, they're like, "Fuck!" They're really going to talk about. It. And I hope that uh, people who care as much about the game and the franchise as you do got got some enjoyment out of this like like i did by playing it and i'm glad that i played it we do have to move on and put this behind us no i want more final fantasy Uh, i i i'm fine (laughs) i think that we're gonna shift gears from something that is like very time inducive very very needy of you very triple a to something that is more uh small and artsy Oh, what is it? What is it? It's a game that, admittedly, I did just finish playing with a friend of mine. It was it was it was a great game to play couch co-op, even though there's only one person who plays at a time. You can play it together, and I recommend it for anyone who can do that exact situation because it was great for me. Uh, we're gonna do Goragoa. That's a that's a mobile game. That's not a real game. It's a real game. <laughs> I'm kidding. I can assure you, Gorago is a real I don't, game. I don't you can actually play believe on that. Steam or mobile or maybe even a Switch at this point. I think yes, you can play or it on a Switch. Switch. Yeah, you can play it on Switch, Switch, mobile or Steam. It's generally pretty cheap. I think it, it often goes on sale. It won like a BAFTA award, yeah. which is which is wild. Um, I was infatuated by playing it, not to bury the lead too much. So I'm excited to get Nick uh, to actually commit to it. It's very short. You can play it in a couple hours, um, so that. Mostly another another production note because because we're really not doing any Joey hates movies right now because of the whole pandemic thing and if we're gonna do more podcasts sometimes we gotta play shorter games so we can actually like get to the to yeah through the podcast so like really it's like so we can give you stuff we gotta play a shorter game to make sure we can I'm talking too much it's fine it's fine I'm just gonna make it it's okay we're gonna we're gonna play Gorgoa and you should too and I highly recommend if you can play it with someone else even though there's only one controller great experience all right you heard it here first but until next time. Goodbye. Go Buster Sword some fools. Dude, go Clum Hazard someone. They didn't name it that in the remake.